Thanks, Austin. Thanks, Chris. Let's give the band another round of applause. That was great. Thank you guys every week for leading us in worship. You guys do a great job. So as many of you guys get to know me better and better, you're going to realize that a lot of my stories revolve around mission trips. Um, that, That reflects a lot of the fact that mission trips have been the most impactful time in my life. Um, And it was the first mission trip I ever went on that I made a commitment um, to really grow in my faith. That was whenever I felt called into ministry. And that was when the reality of Christ and the relationship that he wanted to have with me became real to me. So that was the first mission trip that I went on. Um, We were in Philadelphia. We were serving um, the inner city um, youth and adults and just meeting various needs that were there to be met um, in inner city Philly. And then after, and that was my fresh, the summer of my, in between my freshman and sophomore year. Then the summer between my uh, sophomore and junior year, we went on another mission trip back to Philly. And I was, I was so excited. I, at this point, this was like, had grown to be the highlight of my year was these mission trips. Um, And not just because we got to serve. That was a huge part of it. But also because of the conversations that came out of those times. One thing I love is those deep conversations that you have at like one in the morning with your closest friends that really tell you what's most important to them, what's most important to you, where you're really vulnerable about the things that you're struggling with, the things that you're dealing with, questions that you have. Those are my favorite times. And part of the reason that I loved these mission trips is because it was such a heightened environment for that. So the way, that, the way that these trips would go is we would go, we went with a group called Fuge, who I had the, the um, good fortune to be able to work for for two summers once I got to college. And we would go, and we would have a morning session where we would worship, come together, and then go out into the city and serve all day. Come back, have dinner, Bible study, hang out. But then my favorite part was really the nights whenever, like I said, at one in the morning, we'd gather up, a bunch of us would pile together in one room and just talk for hours. And it was after one of these nights, there was just me and my best friend who we were rooming together. We were left in the room um, after everybody had went to bed. Um, it was, at this point, it was probably closer to three. And we were continuing to have one of these really deep conversations. We're going to call him John for the purposes of this story. Well, we're going back and forth, and he, we're both getting really real with each other. And he, he looks at me and he says, well you know, the Bible wasn't actually written by the people that it says it was written by. Like, it was written hundreds of years later by people that didn't really believe that. They just wanted to tell you how to live a good life, or they wanted power, or something like that. And that sounds like a very direct statement from him, but he was saying it almost as a question, like begging me to say something different, because that was what he was coming to believe, and didn't really want to. Guys, that was really the first time I ever had to come face to face with the question that we're going to look at today, and that's this one. Can we really trust the Bible? Because my friend John was getting to the point where, and was at the point where, he didn't think you could anymore. He'd heard all these other people speaking about this topic, uh, not at church, but through his searches online, um, in classes, at the public school that we went to, and he was beginning to doubt what is really one of the most central truths to the Christian faith, that being the the validity of the Bible. 
for me, this was even more shocking because I am probably one of the most trusting people, especially when I was younger. Um, I was that guy that in Sunday school or normal school or just any time I trusted an adult, I believed everything they said. Unquestioning. I think most kids do, but I carried that in through middle school even, where I just trusted people. If I trusted people, I trusted what they said and didn't really question what they were teaching. Thankfully, I was surrounded by a lot of people that believed the Bible, um, and um, my public school didn't really push an agenda. It was focused on teaching more than anything. But there in that dorm room on this mission trip, I didn't know what to say. And I kind of just shot my friend down. I was like, you know, that's not true. Like, and that's really all I said. I was like, that's not true. We, the Bible says, blah, blah, blah. We know we can trust it. And he kind of just shut off. And we didn't really have a deep conversation about it because I, was, I didn't have a good response. I just kind of shot him down. I want you guys to be able to learn from that, and I want today to be an opportunity for you to see that there is real responses that you can have to people when they come to you, or maybe you seek out questions that they may have. Maybe you're wrestling with this question. After he said that, I began to. And that's fine. I want to encourage you, if you're uncertain about this, don't fear that. Any of your leaders here, and many of your friends, if they maybe have a better hold on this, we would love to talk to you about this. Seek out one of your leaders, because I challenge you to wrestle with this. Because it's really, I would say, second to Jesus, and the fact that he rose from the dead, it is the most central thing to your faith. Here's a quote from Tim Keller. He says, The Christian faith requires belief in the Bible. Now, even whenever I read this somewhat recently, I was like, okay. And I, I kind of thought about it for a second, not sure. Like, I believe in the Bible, but can you believe that Jesus rose or central things about the Bible and not agree with this? And I came to the conclusion, no, although it, at first it kind of confused me. So you're, maybe you had a similar reaction. And we're going to look at why that is, why this quote is true, and some of the main objections to the Christian faith today. Really, I think there's two. There's a historical question and a cultural question. The historical question goes something like this. We can't trust the Bible because it's historically inaccurate. Many people would put that forward. Or maybe it's the cultural side of this. We can't trust the Bible because it's culturally because it, it, it isn't culturally legitimate. It, it's lost its cultural accuracy as time has passed. You're going to have meet people throughout your life that believe one of those two things. They're very broad categories. We're going to look at the historical one first. Because there is a mountain of evidence in support of the historical accuracy of the Bible. But that, hadn't, that, that didn't stop people over the last, really, since Christianity was around, doubting that it actually happened and its, and its historical accuracy. But this really came to a head la last century. There was tons of scholars criticizing the Bible, saying that it didn't actually happen. And this group known as the Jesus Seminar came together, and this, despite the name, it's a group of skeptics that came together to try and disprove the accuracy of the Bible. And they put this quote out there, that no more than 20% of Jesus' sayings and actions in the Bible can be historically validated. That is a bold claim, and if it's true, I think it throws a wrench and pulls out the credibility of the entire Christian faith. But the simple truth is they didn't have 
nor do they now have any real support for this. One skeptic who, seeing quotes like this and many others like it, tried to embrace a teaching like this, that you couldn't historically validate the Bible, said that not only was the case not made, that being that it was historically unreliable, that only 20% of it was true, I discovered in this field some of the worst and most biased scholarship I've ever read. Now, this isn't some Christian that's looking at this and is coming to this conclusion. This was a woman who was, a, a, was an atheist. She was an author. She was a very intelligent woman. And as I continued to read her story, she came to this kind of a conclusion that there's, there's really no, no support for this. So what support is there in favor of the Bible? If the arguments against it are so inaccurate and so biased, what is some of the support that we have for it? Well, thankfully, a quote like that, that quote from the Jesus Seminar helped us narrow our focus. Because the Bible is quite large. There's quite a lot that we could address. But we're going to focus on the Gospels. And by that, I'm talking the biblical Gospels that we would all say when when we open our Bibles, it's the four ones that are there, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's going to be important because as we're going to see in a minute, there are other books that claim to be Gospels that we would reject. The claim that, there's a, a claim against the Bible that we're going to look at goes something like this. The New Testament Gospels were written so long after the events that the writer's accounts can't be trusted and are embellished, if not totally fake. These ones, being these Gospels, were selected to help the church gain power. This is kind of the argument, the first half of this especially, that my, my friend John was putting forward. That these events didn't actually happen. Many people would put forward and say, many skeptics, that is, would put forward that the Bible was written hundreds of years after Jesus walked the earth. The Gospels were written so long after that it couldn't be, they couldn't possibly true. But the Bible itself would claim that they were written within 40 to 60 years of the actual events. So what support is there for that claim? Because you can write just about anything if you, if you wanted to and say that it's true, but if you don't have support for it, does it really help? Well, the truth is we have thousands of copies and fragments of Scripture, some of which can be dated within 70 to 80 years of the events themselves, to around 110 A.D. And those aren't like, you know, maybe buried in Jerusalem somewhere real close to where the events happened. We have these fragments from all over the Mediterranean, Rome, Greece, Egypt, farther away and even Carthage, and then farther east towards India. And by and large, they're almost identical to one another. Many, many skeptics, when they look at the, the gathered collection of um, what we would call the, script, the, the text-based evidence for Scripture, they would say, yeah, but there's thousands of differences that mean that it can't possibly be true. Well, yes, but if you have to base an argument and actually fudge your math to get to your answer... It's probably not well-based, because what they would do is they would look and they'd say, oh, here's a spelling error. Oh, we have 100 copies from different time of that same text, and all of them have this word misspelled. Well, that's 100 mistakes. 
So you very quickly, through spelling errors or through words being backwards, find, yeah, what would be tons of errors, but they don't change what Scripture is actually saying. When you actually look at the manuscripts that we have, they're nearly identical. Think of the game of telephone, okay? We all played that in elementary school, right? Okay, well, the, the argument of somebody that doubts the Bible would go, well, that's basically what, how, how the Bible's been relayed. Okay, it started off maybe with, some tr- with, 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 with a message, but then now it's just completely different. But imagine, if you will, you're playing telephone, starting at a central point, and going out in two directions. The message starts in the middle and works its way out. And at the end, you have the, ide- you have the same phrase being said. If the two people at the end are saying the same thing, wouldn't we have good reason to believe that that was how it started? That's sort of, what hap- that's sort of what's happened with Scripture. Starting in Jerusalem, it spread out. This message was carried. Copies of the text were written from the original copies and moved outward and outward to places, like I said earlier, like Greece, Carthage, um, Egypt, Rome. And these texts that are found in widely different places are all nearly identical. That lends huge, huge um, believability to the accuracy of Scripture. Some other support, though. The Bible and the events that it details take place way too close to the original events for them to be legend. We have copies from within 70 to 80 years, but for a legend to form, you need not just the people who were present to have died, not just their children to have died, but their grandchildren. A legend has to have plenty of time to form with no one able to reject it or correct it. And with us being able to date copies of Scripture to within that time frame, that lends even further evidence to the fact that, no, this this wasn't enough time for these legends to form. Events need to have been forgotten. But in the book of Acts, in Acts 26-26, Paul, when before um, Herod, he claims that this is common knowledge. The gospel he's preaching is common knowledge. And that would have been Acts 26-26 happening almost 40 years after the fact. But we have even further support as well. The Bible actually lists its eyewitnesses. In Mark 15-21, it says that the father of Alexander and Rufus were the, was the one that helped carry the cross for Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 15-1-6, Paul says that there's over 500 people that you can go check with, that this is true, that, that they saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. If you're trying to make a case and you don't have any support for it, are you going to say, oh yeah, go, go check with people? No. I tried that when I was a kid. I, would, I, I thought that by me saying, when I did something wrong, oh no, 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 I was with so-and-so. Well, and then my mom would go check with my friend and their parent would say, oh no, Tyler wasn't here. Kind of disproves my entire case. That, no, 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 I wasn't doing the thing that you think I'm doing. But the Bible lists its witnesses. Additionally, the Bible provides details 
that are completely unhelpful for, it, for itself if the people writing it only cared about getting their own power. Think about the most central point of the Gospels, the crucifixion. I'm sure you guys have heard this before, but I think we still forget it at times. How offensive the mere thought of crucifixion was. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 23... Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 23 that the, cruci- the, the, the crucifixion is, quote, um, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But yet, if the Bible was just to gain power, the disciples were still going to write about it and make it harder for people to believe and harder for them to gain power. It, it simply doesn't add up. Or what about the fact that the Bible relies heavily on the testimony of women? For us, that doesn't sound shocking, but back in their day, in Jerusalem, women's testimony wasn't even allowed in court as evidence. But yet in John 20, verses 11 through 18, women are the first people to see the resurrected Lord. And they have to go and tell the disciples. If you're, back back in those times, if you were trying to gain power, you're not going to rely on testimony like that. You would be laughed out. Or simply think of the apostles themselves. Don't we kind of use the disciples as the butt of the joke a lot of time? Like, we read the Gospels and it's like, oh, Peter and James and John, you guys don't get it. Peter denied Jesus three times. Are you really going to build your faith with the, by making fun of its leaders? Are you going to show how screwed up the leaders of your organization are if it's not true? All of this and much other evidence, I've only been able to give a small sampling because we don't have time to look at everything, has led to the fact that the historical objections to the accuracy of the Bible have actually began to fade. More and more, people don't ask, don't present these questions if they really know the evidence because the evidence is fairly overwhelming that, yes, the Bible has been historically accurate and recorded and what we have in our hands is nearly identical to what the disciples originally wrote. In fact, people that, with a critical eye, Christian scholars have went back and they've, looking at all the evidence that we have, can definitively say that no major Christian doctrine is at all in question by any questions that we have about sections that are and their accuracy. But that doesn't mean that there aren't still questions because the cultural question still remains. The question of is the Bible culturally legitimate has actually grown. That's probably the question that a lot of you are familiar with. It might go something like the, this. The Bible has outdated and regressive teachings on various topics. Thus, we can't accept it. Some examples of this might be people would claim, oh, the Bible supports slavery and it's repressive to women and has repressive rules on sexuality. And many other questions about its cultural legitimacy, those are just a couple. I think there's a couple things that we can do here. 
I'm going to give you guys a couple options. If these are something that you struggle with or you know somebody who asks similar questions, there's a few different things that we can, uh, a few different ways we can answer this. Option one, these verses may not be teaching what you think they're teaching. If you put them back in their historical context, it could fix it. Any good study Bible commentary, but probably for y'all study Bibles, commentaries are confusing even for me sometimes. Um, any good study Bible will put it back in its historical context and many of these questions disappear. You realize, oh, what I thought this was saying, it just isn't. And that, that's to be expected. I mean, believe it or not, guys, we don't live in first century Israel. <laughs> it, it was a little bit different back then. A possible example of this might be times in the Bible where we see it talk about, like, slavery. Something that we rightly view as offensive and awful simply wasn't the same in the biblical context. It wasn't race-based. It wasn't for life. You didn't contr- the only thing that was owned was wages, and you were expected to get your freedom within, like, seven years. The only, it, it, it's just, there's no connection between... His, his, between what we know as slavery in America and what, what's talked about in the Bible. There's a second option, though. And that's that you may be unknowingly or knowingly be believing that your current culture is completely superior to all others. And this, is, this isn't in regard to the slavery example. This is in regard maybe to um, any of the other questions that you may have, whether that be saying that the Bible has regressive rules for women or sexuality or whatever. Um, Here's a quote from Tim Keller in support of this. To reject the Bible as regressive is to assume that you have now arrived at the ultimate historical moment from which all that is regressive and progressive can be discerned. This view is surely as narrow and exclusive as the view in the Bible that you regard as regressive. Basically, we're not always right. Especially culture and how quickly it changes is not always right. The reality is culture changes, and what's viewed as fine today, people are going to look at 100 years from now and say, that, look, at, look, look at how uncivilized and regressive those people were. They, they would be appalled at some of the things that, that pe- the modern culture may believe is accurate. Additionally, maybe you need to focus on the more important teachings of Scripture. Are are, are you elevating, this is a question to ask yourself or somebody that's doubting the cultural legitimacy of Scripture, are you elevating issues that are kind of off to the side, non-central to the Bible, and making them the central issue? The Bible first and foremost, teaches about Christ. Teaches the truth of God and what he's done for us. But it also at times teaches about, you know, how we should care for orphans or widows or many other things. I don't think any of us would doubt or question that the teachings of, the teaching of who Christ is is far more foundational than these other teachings. Let's go ahead and read 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 14. 
starting in verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Those are some pretty strong words. And kind of reminds us of how central the teaching of Christ and who he is and what he has done for us is to the Bible. Before we wrestle with things that are controversial, make sure that we've settled on the reality of who Christ is. There's many different denominations, many different churches, even in this town, that believe tons of different things on non-central topics to Scripture. The one thing that every church is united on, every true Christian church, is the person of Christ. The fact that he died for our sins, that he rose from the dead. Because if that's not true, then as Paul writes, our faith is worthless. Jesus had to raise from the dead. That teaching has to be true. Or else our faith is worthless. If that's true, then if someone says they can't believe the Bible because of what it says about some peripheral issue, I I would lovingly ask them, are are you really going to say that, oh, because I don't agree with this thing, then Jesus didn't raise from the dead? When, When we reframe it like that, most people wouldn't press that point because they realize it just doesn't make sense. Like, what I believe about some peripheral issue has no bearing on whether or not Christ rose from the dead. And if Christ rose from the dead, then that validates a lot of the teachings that we see in Scripture. If Jesus is the Son of God, then we need to take his teachings seriously. Some final thoughts is before we break off into discussion. Relationships have conflict, right? Like, if I was in a relationship and every time I disagreed with the girl, I was, I was like, oh, well, we're breaking up. That, that wouldn't be a relationship. If you have a friend and every time that you disagree with that friend, you say, we're not friends anymore. There's no relationship. Relationships require conflict. But if we believe in Jesus... We know he doesn't make mistakes. He's God. And that gives us some freedom to disagree with the Bible without throwing out the relationship that we have with him. And to come to the Bible and say, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with this thing here that you wrote. And it lets us come to that and say, okay, let me examine this. Let's see if putting it in its historical context fixes this and makes it so I can understand why God would write this. And then we could say, well, maybe my culture is just wrong about this thing if putting it in its historical context still doesn't help. But then there might be times when you have to come to Scripture and say, God, I'm struggling with this, and I don't see a way that I can immediately make that go away, but you're still Lord. You still died for my sins. And I'm going to wrestle with this and try and come to, a, to, a, to an answer. But I know I'm not perfect, and I know you are. 
if we aren't willing to have that conflict, then we don't really have a relationship. My encouragement for you guys is to dive deep into the Word. Wrestle with it. Seek truth. And as is written in John 17, 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your Word is truth. Thanks, guys. Go ahead and break off into your discussion groups. We've got some questions for you.